Glad y'all are here. My name is David. I'm the pastor here at Stonebridge. If you're a guest, we're particularly glad you're here, and hopefully you'll come back. This didn't uh, make you think we're too weird to come. I don't know if y'all, y'all don't, y'all can keep eating while I talk. That doesn't offend me at all, and I don't care if your back's to me. That doesn't bother me as well. I won't know if you're falling asleep one way or the other. Um, if you have a, well, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke 14. I want to share a little bit about why we're doing uh, what we're doing. We're not trying to be cute. We're not trying to be different. We're not even trying to be memorable. Uh, for us, we're trying to create um, a handle for salvation. Uh, oftentimes for us, when we think about salvation, we think of a courtroom. I'm, I'm guilty. I've broken God's law. I've broken the commandments. I've sinned. And I go to a courtroom and this judge, God, will find me not guilty if I put my faith in his son, Jesus. And then I'm declared uh, righteous. And all of that is 100% true. It can be difficult for some of us to grab onto. Throughout the Bible, there's another picture of salvation. And it's this idea of a feast. Uh, sometimes it's called the Messianic Banquet. Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, sometimes it's called the Wedding Supper of the Lamb. But there's this picture that at the end of time, everything culminates in a huge banquet with God as the host and his people as the guests. And uh, at that point, you're either in or you're out, which is kind of harsh, but you've all been invited to parties. You either go or you don't. There's nothing in between. And the same thing is true with this banquet at the end of time. You're either you're at the banquet or you're outside, and outside, Jesus describes as not, not very good. He calls it a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, and nobody wants to be there. So what we're talking about today is what does it look like to be inside? What does it look like to say yes to this invitation? Uh, one of Jesus' parables in Luke 14, he uses this imagery of a banquet to communicate. Let me give you a little background on banquet etiquette during Jesus' time. Uh, it was a huge deal socially to host a banquet you didn't just invite everybody you had to invite kind of the quote right people it's kind of like your high school party you want to you want the cool factor to be as high as possible so you don't want to reach down too low or else then the cool guys won't come but if you reach up too high those guys are going to say no and you're going to wind up with nobody so you're trying to find that bandwidth of these guys are cool enough that it makes my party look good but not so cool that they're going to say no And that's the same thing that was happening in Jesus' time. Very tricky who you invited. There's all of this. There there was a lot of uh, thought that went into it. So you would send an initial invitation to everyone. It's kind of like a save the date. You've gotten those save the date things that said, I'm going to have this banquet on such and such a day, and I want you to come. And you would RSVP yes or no to that. Uh, There's no Publix, no Whole Foods. So if you're having meat, you're killing it. So you need to know who's coming, so you, it takes a while to get all that stuff ready. So you find out how many people are coming, you prepare the food, and then you issue a second invitation, which is kind of like ringing the dinner bell. The food, is, it's now. You come now. So you've already said, so if I invite Daniel and Katie and they say yes, then when the food's ready, my servant goes and says, it's, it's time to go, and they come immediately to my banquet because if they don't the food's going to spoil again there's no refrigeration none of those kind of things happen it has to be eaten very quickly and if i were to invite them to a banquet which would be pretty extravagant for me to host something particularly as large as we're going to see in luke the expectation is they would then reciprocate and invite me back 
uh, to share a meal with someone was a sign of acceptance and friendship. So if they didn't want to invite me back to their house, then they would say no to my invitation. Because the, the assumption is once they say yes to me, they're going to host a party of equal coolness and they're going to invite me back. When they say yes, it's pretty much saying you're my people and I'm your people. So all of that is backstory for what we're going to read in Luke 14. Jesus is at the house of a Pharisee and he's observing how they're functioning in this. Uh, it's a smaller setting. It's not a huge blowout banquet, but it's a, a public meal. This guy's invited some people in and Jesus is, is observing behavior. Uh, and he says to them, you know, y'all's custom is when you're inviting someone, you invite the rich, you invite your family, you invite people who can pay you back. Why don't you invite people who can't? Invite the poor, the lame, the beggar. Invite people who can't pay you back, and then there'll be a reward for you uh, at the resurrection of the righteous. And on that comment, some, one of the dinner guests says this, starting in verse 15. When one of those at the table with Jesus heard this, this comment about inviting people who can't invite you back, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. So there's this idea again, the future is this banquet. And Jesus replied, telling them this parable. Remember, a parable is a story pulled from everyday life that tells one major spiritual truth. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. So that's the second invitation. That's the dinner bell. Everyone who got that had already said yes previously. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. The owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. So there's one major spiritual truth, and the, the major one here in this parable is the guest list is going to be surprising. We'll all be surprised at whose name is ultimately on the list. And it's surprising for two different reasons. One, the people who one would assume would be on the list won't be. That's the first group of people in this parable. Again, remember, they'd all said yes to this initial invitation. They reject the second invitation. So the master's already prepared for them, and then they make excuses. All of those things are excuses. Nobody buys a field without looking at it. Nobody buys five yokes of oxen without testing. They're just making excuses for why they don't want to come at that point. And what Jesus, again, is in the home of a Pharisee, and what everybody would understand there is he's talking about them. He's talking about the Pharisees and the religious leaders, the ones who everyone assumes Whatever this feast, whatever this banquet is of the kingdom of God, those guys are going to be there. Actually, in this culture, if you had a Pharisee come, it was a great honor to have a Pharisee at one of your banquets. And you would sit him in a place of honor so everybody could see your status because you've got this guy sitting with you. You're so religious, righteous, whatever, that this guy will come to your house so you would put him in a place of honor. So, again, the assumption is... Whatever this banquet looks like, these guys, they're one through ten on the invite list. And what Jesus is saying, no. And it's not because they weren't invited. It's because they rejected the invitation. And that's a key point of all of this. It's not the, the, the issue is not were they invited or not. It's what did they do with the invitation. And they chose to reject it. 
So if you step back, these guys were, again, were very religiously pure. They were ceremonially clean. They followed the law. They had the whole thing memorized. They encouraged other people to follow the law. They, there was an initial step from them towards God. And when Jesus comes, he's that second invitation. If you want in, he says, I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will find life. He says, I'm the way. I'm, I'm the way in. I'm the door. They rejected that. They couldn't see him as a savior. So the first reason we'll be surprised at this guest list, people who we assume would be on it won't. The second, people who we assume will be excluded are actually included. The people who we assume aren't going to be invited not only will be invited, but they're going to say yes. That's that second group of people, poor, lame, crippled, blind, people who live outside the city in these alleys and country lanes. All of those guys, you, you see there, the servant said, the master says to his servant, make them come. The word is compel, compel them to come. It probably means more, something more like persuade in this case. You need to persuade them. You need to convince them to come because what they're saying is we don't get invited to things like that. And if I get invited, I, I can't repay him. I, I can't throw a party of equivalent extravagance. So it's, it's going to dishonor him the host, if I say yes, because I've got nothing to bring to the table. I can't reciprocate in any way. And so they're saying, no, I, we can't come. And the servant is having to convince them he wants you there. It's okay that you can't pay him back. He knows that. He doesn't expect that at this point. He wants you there. He wants the house full. The common denominator from that first group and that second group is there's an unwillingness to receive the grace of God. For the first group, their resistance has hardened into rejection. They just say, we don't need it. I don't need the grace of God because of my track record. I don't need the grace of God because of my righteousness. I don't need anybody making a way for me. I can make my own way. That's the essence of religion. Religion is any belief or behavior system that says I can get to God on my own. I'm going to try really hard to be a good person. I'm going to keep the Ten Commandments. I'm going to pay it forward. Whatever it looks like. That's all religion, and the Pharisees were the best at that. So to, to say to them, you need a Savior, they're going to say, what? No, we don't. We don't mess up. If any, no, We don't. We're the, we're the one percenters. We don't need a Savior. We can get in on our own. Their resistance has become rejection. These other guys aren't so hard. They're resisting for a different reason. If the religious leaders resist because they don't need a Savior, these the, the masses resist because they don't think they deserve one. It's kind of the irony of grace. Grace is unmerited favor. And they're saying, I don't deserve your unmerited favor. And the servant is trying to say, yes, yes, you don't deserve this unmerited favor. So just receive it. And because they live in a society where grace is nowhere to be found, they can't grab what's the catch. And the same thing is true for us. The highest uh, virtue in our society is fair. Let's just make everything fair. Fair is not grace. Fair is you get what you deserve. Grace is you get what you don't deserve. It's hard for us sometimes to grab onto that. Let me clean myself up first. I have too many doubts. I have too much frustration. I, there's too much sin in my life. I can't come in yet. And what the Jesus would say to you is come inside. We'll take care of all of that. Just come inside first. You don't have to clean yourself up. Remember, the food is it's hot now. It needs to be eaten now. There was no time for these guys to go put on their party clothes. They came in whatever form they came in. 
is probably a pretty smelly banquet at that point. It was. These are dirty folks who are coming in. There's no cleaning up before. It's to be eaten now. And what Jesus would say to us is, you don't have to clean yourself up first. We'll work on all of those things once you get inside. The thing with us is we ought, the things that we think we need to clean up usually are not the things that we need to clean up. We try to figure out beforehand, what do I need to look like so I fit in? What do I need to look like so I can be accepted into this group? And what God says, it just come in. We'll take care of all of that in the future. So for us this morning, the question is, how are you doing with the grace of God? Are you aware this morning of your need for God's grace in your life? I'm not saying asking if you're a Christian or not. That's obviously the large question, but specifically for every one of us, do you recognize today, are you aware this morning of your need for God's grace? Yes or no? If the answer is no, I'm not aware of my need for God's grace. That's a dangerous place to be. That's moving in the direction of those religious leaders who say, I can make it on my own. I've got this. I've got a great job. I've got a great family. I know where I'm headed. Whatever the rationale is, I can do this. I don't really need his grace. Some of us, we would say, yeah, I need it, but I don't deserve it. And I think what he would say to you is, yes, you don't. You're right. Will you receive it? That's why it's grace, because you don't deserve it. It's what you deserve. That's just payment. He doesn't pay. He gives grace. And so for us this morning, as we move into, we're going to take, we're going to, Logan and Katie Weber, y'all come on up. They're going to do our Advent reading. We're going to move into a time of communion and then worship. My, my encouragement to you, where am I this morning with the grace of God? Am I resisting his grace on some level because I don't feel like I deserve it? Let's get over that. Communion is a tangible reminder of his grace. Receive that. Am I unaware of, his, of, of my need for his grace? Either because you're not, maybe you're not yet a Christian, you're saying, I'm not sure I need a Savior, or maybe it was a decision you made a long time ago and you kind of feel like, well, I checked that box and now it's up to me to make the most of my life from here on out. I received grace at my salvation and that grace pays for my sin. But now I'm on my own, or I want to be on my own for everything moving forward. That's not the way it works. We begin with grace, we continue with grace, and we end with grace. All that we receive from God is his undeserved goodness. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to turn it over to to, uh, Logan and Katie. Y'all pray with me. James 4, 6 The Bible says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You may not think of yourself as proud, but if you're resisting the grace of God, that's that's the category that puts you in. It's an unwillingness to acknowledge need and weakness. So my prayer, God, for each of us is that you would find us humble this morning that you would find us open to receiving and cooperating with your grace, acknowledging our need for your undeserved favor. For those who maybe never said yes to you, God would today be the day. This small, tangible expression of this wonderful banquet that will blow our minds. God, I pray somehow in the midst of this, they would hear you saying, come home. 
this banquet is not thrown by a stranger. It's thrown by your father. And he's asking you to come home and eat with him. Would today be the day for those who've said no up to this point? God, for those who are, they're in. Their name's already on the guest list. Where are the areas where grace needs to be received? In marriages, in families, work, finances, direction, healing. Lord, would you pour out your grace abundantly, not because we deserve it, because we don't, but because you're a good father who gives good gifts to his children. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, for our Advent reading, it's going to be in Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 9. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The, The Lord has spoken. In this day, they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. You guys would pray. Pray with me. Father, I um, I thank you for this group of people. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the church, capital C, God. Um, Jesus, we just take some time this morning to to recognize you as the head of it. You're the author and the perfecter, God, of our faith, Lord. I pray that we would not be so foolish, Jesus, in response to this morning and, and your word to us uh, to try to finish out in the flesh, God, what you clearly began in our hearts and and through the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, Lord that we would be uh, as happy at the end to receive your, your hand of help and your, your, your extension of grace to us as we were on day one, Lord. I, I see it in my own heart. It tries to creep up, Lord. It tries to, it, I, it, I try to accomplish, Lord, when, instead of relinquishing and taking my hands off God. So I pray you'd give us all eyes to see that, God. I pray for hearts to understand that, Lord. Um, we do. We live in a society that's completely devoid of, of grace. It's nowhere to be found, Lord. So there's an element to, to, to your word to us today where we have got to have our minds made new. So, Lord, I pray this morning you would help just through 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 worship and through our our connection with you this morning, some interaction with you, God, you would you would make our our minds new, God, that we would operate on your wavelength, which is a wavelength that extends grace to the very end, Lord. Um, God, I pray you just reconfigure in us what needs to be reconfigured. And uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Like David said, we're going to go into communion here in just a minute. So I'm going to read some scripture about that, kind of head into it. It's from Mark. And as they were eating, he took bread, 
and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So you'll find that the elements for communion are already on the table. Bread's wrapped up and you should have a small chalice of uh, fruit of the vine. And uh, if you guys would just serve your neighbors uh, around the table, um, Bo's going to lead us in, in some worship and uh,